welcome to the Wachusett Wire, the podcast about the history, people, and stories of Wachusett Mountain Ski Area. I'm your host, Chris Stimson. For episode two, we are continuing our dive into the history of the mountain. This time, we are speaking with Carolyn Crowley Stimson, vice president of the operation. Carolyn brings great insight into what the earlier years, as well as the transition periods, were like. She also has some fun family stories along the way. How are you today, Carolyn? I am just fine, son, Chris. Yeah, I guess it's a, uh, I don't have to call you mom in this context. It's a little <laughs> unprofessional, but um, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for being with us today. Um, so we just got done talking to Uncle Jeff or Jeff Crowley. I think uh, Jeff did a great job because he's that much older than me that he has much more knowledge of, of our, our history. Like he was around when the CCC built Bullock Lodge and all that. <laughs> no, just kidding. But it, um, uh, actually, brothers Ralph and Chris were here on the ground uh, during the whole uh, original um, operation, and boy, was it tough. And uh, I think Jeff said that that you know it was it was hand to mouth the whole time. How do we uh, you know get open? And the snowmaking system was just didn't didn't even exist basically. So it was really challenging times. I still remember when uh, brother Chris was up fixing the Oxbow T bar, and the cable moved, and he got shot off from on top of the cable, and that's why his knee is blown out because he just snapped his knee backwards. So wow. it was rough times back then. And well, that's kind of how skiing was back in the day. <laughs> it wasn't exactly the, the safe sport that we have today. In fact, that's a really important part because people don't know how rough skiing was. <laughs> I mean, those the rope toe that we used to have went up the bottom of Hitchcock Trail. That's like a black diamond going straight <laughs> uphill. I would get picked up in the air from the gap of the space between the, you know, the bottom and the uphill. And if your gloves made it through a winter, it was astounding. Wow. So it was, you know, the challenges that we presented. Presented, we were we were just it, it was a hardier time We've, right and even I learned how to ski on the on the tow rope and I remember my arms getting pulled out of their sockets but that was probably a little friendlier than even what you guys had. it was flat and nice yeah. And now we have the the nice slow chair that comes around, picks you or up. Or the magic carpets. Yeah, that exactly. You, you can just hang out and stand there. It's just amazing. The the um, detachable quads. I think that was one of the best investments we made in in you know one of our our important functions and 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 missions here is to create new skiers. That's how we got the conversion cup a few years ago from the National Skiers Association, which is basically the Stanley Cup of the ski industry. It's a big deal. It's a huge deal, and and. And, and part of that is because we're so focused on getting people outdoors, recreating in the winter. We make it accessible, we make it fun, and we just bring it to family. So that's that's what we're about. Absolutely. So talk to me about uh, a little bit about families and how your your family got into the business. And I remember Jeff was talking about um, you were on the the T bar with your dad, and it was under your armpits. Uh, talk to me oh, about that. Oh, it was total torture. I I absolutely can still see it today. We would be going up the West T bar, which is where the Minuteman is now, and it only went up. Well, it it, it kind of only went up halfway at, at first, but the the springs and the T bars were super stiff, so I couldn't go by myself because I get picked up and spun around and spit out backwards. So I would go up with, with my dad, Ralph Crowley, 
<clears throat> and he would have the T-bar tucked neatly under his calf muscles where I would have it under my armpits. And it was just plain torture. I can't believe people would actually ski back then. <laughs> I had those, oh, one time I put 17 pairs of socks underneath my cold boots because I thought that would keep me, <laughs> keep me warm. And my brothers were laughing so hard when I was crying in the car on the way back because I, my feet were so numb and I'm peeling off sock after sock <laughs> after sock. And no and blood in there. Four older brothers, yeah. they thought that was hysterical. I'm sure. So talk to me about the transition from just being a kid skiing around on the mountain, um, moving into an employee and actually working and having some skin in the game here. So uh, as Jeff mentioned, it was 1982 when we got the long-term lease. And as I recall, you did a project when you were in um, Parks and Rec in the Ski Area Management Program at UVM, and you looked at all the studies that we went through to get that long-term expansion. And um, I believe we cut down more trees creating the um, studies than we did for the entire project for the the Vickery Bowl, which was part of that um, expansion. And that so you're saying there was more paper on the on the printed environmental impact reports than there was actually cut down for trees on the mountain. In fact, I believe strongly that that is the case. Wow. And you saw, I mean, they, the the stack of reports, one set of them went up to your waist. Yeah. And that's one set of reports we would do 150 each time quite a project getting the project approved including uh, when we had those tree sitters remember we had dandelion and bambi who camped out in the trees to protect the old growth when it wasn't even old growth where they were pasture land except the trees on the summit which is uh they weren't worth cutting so the the settlers didn't bother with them that's how they became old growth mm -hmm. so we got into all kinds of uh, lawsuits and, and studies around the old growth and had have now they're protected. So And that's sort of the reason that we haven't expanded the terrain since then because it was such a hassle, right? It was it was really amazingly challenging and and uh, the skier would never have been built if it were today. It, mm -hmm. you know it, the the restrictions and regulations are are so much more stringent even though this land this 450 acres was set aside for skiing. Um, it's it's a much more challenging uh, regulatory environment these days. Sure, and you don't see a lot of new ski areas popping up. No, it's way too expensive. I mean, think about the capital we spend on a daily, on an annual basis. Think about the capital we spend annually just to stay ahead of the game. You right. know, whether it's you know roofs and painting and and uh, you know new magic carpets and things like that, we're constantly reinvesting just to be able to to keep it current. Mm-hmm. Yeah, skiing is definitely a capital and intensive uh, business to be in. So I want to go back a little bit and talk to me about what those early years when you started um, working here and um, just getting by, like bringing the money in to pay the electrician and... Um, so it was totally hand to mouth. My dad borrowed every cent he possibly could from Polar, two chairs, and then added eventually the third uh, the third summit lift after after a year and um, we just we were really hand-to-mouth our, our banks pulled out in the middle of the project because there was a hundred year rain and the city of Fitchburg shut us down from being able to to um, 
continue construction. So the banks pulled out. That was not pretty. I still remember my dad out my bedroom window in the middle in, at five in the morning, and he was cutting the rhododendrons. And I was like, "What are you doing?" And he said, "This is Thorny Banks." And it was the the <laughs> the, the bankers. He was chopping oh the, the rhododendrons. Took about twenty years to rebound from that <laughs> that that hack session. Um, so even you know. Ralph had to double mortgage his house to try to get enough money to try to continue. I mean, everybody was working all hands on deck all the time trying to keep the ski area afloat while we, were, while Ralph was out trying to get money to support the expansion. So once the banks pulled out, everything had to start over again, basically on on, on um, getting the money to to build out. So um, we basically started friends and family that hadn't been a thing in the olden days back in 19 the early 80s. So um, basically hit up all of our friends and family for them to invest, they got the tax credits, they got pretty good um, uh, reimbursement um, because in those days it was 18 to 23 percent during the Jimmy Carter administration interest rates were stupid high so that was it was crazy so the people that did invest said it was one of the best investments because they got the tax credits as well as the investment in the place yeah and it's amazing that you were able to work through all of that and create a successful business that we have today well, thank God. I mean, it really, it was super challenging and it was a, a total family team effort. The guys that are here, you know, still that work with us still were back working with us back then. That's, you know, that's the family part that's so cool is that, you know, many of the of the guys that we work with, Joe O'Brien's here all the do- time still. We still see Bob Mignon down the Cape. Um, Dave Injimi, who was working in sales back then, went on to run Skier Industries of America, which is the, the retail um, arm of the ski industry if you work at what you sit you are respected throughout the country it's amazing how many of our employees have gone on to be big wigs in the other ski areas like that's Sammy Obi. Well, that's one of my fun facts is um that when joe was here his kid jamie learned to ski here he's a really great skier here raced here and then he went up and and went to school up north and i think he he yeah, he ended up at Stowe. He was uh, director of mountain operations at Stowe, and I actually worked for him uh, on the zip line there at Stowe. That was a fun summer. So that's exactly the point I was making is that I worked for his dad, and then you, uh, then Jamie worked for me in Mountainside here, and then you went to work for Jamie. So it's the circle of yeah. the ski industry life. It's a really small circle. <laughs> and I think circle. he just had a kid, so maybe he'll work for us someday. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. Um, so then after you kind of got some traction and the mountain was becoming successful, um, you and your brothers became the face of, of the mountain here on the commercials. Uh, we have the, uh, we have the theme song at the beginning of the podcast. So that was playing on the airwaves and, uh, people kind of recognize you as the face of the mountain. Well, can I talk about that jingle first off? Well, let's talk about the jingle first. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> let's talk about that jingle. So I still remember, I think his name was Davis and, uh, and he came in and he pitched us all on the jingle. And it was the Watusi. And only old people can recall the yep. bump, 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 wah. And Let's put it in here. I'll, I'll play the track. Yeah, yeah, play the track. <laughs> school version and it was so cheesy we all looked at each other like there's no way we're using it just had the same number of syllables and started with wa (laughs) (laughs) so so he played it and we're like nope not gonna happen then he played it again then he played it maybe three or four times all of us had to get a lobotomy after he played it we're like there's no way we can do anything but use that jingle 
Talk about early earworms. And that's that a good marketing move now. People have the Watch You Sit song stuck in their head after they listen to the radio. Right. It's true. But we did a lot of work to that song and changed it and made it our own. So it wasn't like we just swiped some song off the radio. No. <laughs> and it was so old, I don't think we even had to pay residuals. Yeah, I believe that. it's a, a public domain after 75 years. Right. 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 So anyway, we, we, um, we, had, the, we had the jingle. And, and yeah, we did. You know, back then people actually watched 4, 5, and 7. So it was really easy to be to have a commercial that everybody would see. So that was pretty cool is that, you know, you could run during the news and then the family would see it because they're watching the news together and that's how they would decide to come out skiing. Mm-hmm. And I still remember when I was a kid, we'd go to Fenway Park or something and someone in the crowd would say, hey, lady, you're the Wachusett lady. So I, you just got that, that <laughs> reputation. Well, I think it's more to do with my my voice. I got um, sure. my mother and Aunt Anne's voice and it's like I'm looking for the voice act to me. If anyone's got one, I'm in. But it's kind of your thing now. It's like now it's, <laughs> it's got the now it's, uh, we know it's you. Yeah. <laughs> uh. So, um, yeah, the, the, but boy, has the advertising world changed. Now that you're working here in marketing, you can see how important the social media piece of the, wor- of the world is and, and how we're now looking at how do we communicate best? Where do you, the customer, want to be spoken to? The things that I, I still recall is when we were at 2000 capacity, people would be parking up and down the roads in every direction. If you look on your way here, there are no parking signs every which way. And that really was not a pleasant experience for the customers. So fortunately, we were able to get that little expansion, which just gave us the more capacity. And even on a busiest, our busiest day, the longest lift line is 17 minutes. So we're, we're short compared to a lot of the places up, up north that have you know fixed grip and, and it's a much slower lift line. We, we actually limit the number of people and have high speed quads. So it's a better experience. And that's what it's all about. Well, Carolyn, I mean, mom, I mean, Vice President, uh, thank you for coming by and being on the podcast today. And Hey, it was a pleasure, and it really is important for us to, to explain the history because it, it wasn't pretty, but it's really it's so nice that, that you and Courtney and David are here now and that you're, you're taking over and, uh, and making our lives that much easier, right? Well, we're not taking over just yet. I don't think you're ever going to retire. So. <laughs> I'm going <laughs> out <for> sideways. <laughs> <laughs> Feet first, as my mother used to say. Well, that's it for episode two of the Wachusett Wire. Thanks again for listening. You can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and be sure to follow Wachusett Mountain on social media. Special thanks to Carolyn Stimson for being on the show, and we will be back again soon with another episode about Wachusett's sister company, Polar Beverages. Until then, I'm Chris Stimson, and you've been listening to the Wachusett Wire.